The Social Work Journal podcast is a place of healing that normalizes everyday experiences through the exploration of evidence-based practice, theory, peer-reviewed journals, literature, articles, research, and a little pop culture. For further context, throughout each episode, I will also share my own personal experiences. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Social Work Journal. I'm your host, Del Tom, and today we are going to talk about achievement. Now, first, to start off, we have to define what is achievement. Achievement is a thing done successfully, typically by effort, courage, or skill. So I want to get into achievement today. I was overviewing this study, and it's called Women at Cambridge, The Meaning of Success. And they did a study over women who were in a graduate program at Cambridge. And what they discovered was that a lot of the students there, they had their own particular ways of defining what achievement was. So in this article, they say achievements are the building blocks that enable someone to construct a sense of themselves as success. The achievements that matter most combine to form a version of success that has meaning and substance for the individual. So achievement is individualized. That's very important to know. And also people are looking for tangible evidence of achievement. So tangible evidence could come from, you know, comparing yourself to other colleagues, competitors, and the wider use to judge a person more or less successful. So how can we define, measure, or reward success more effectively? On this article, they say, a traditional understanding success is based almost exclusively on outcomes such as grants awarded or papers published. And they're particularly talking about graduate students in a PhD program. Okay. So let's put that in context. However, most people found their success. They found their sense of achievement by just actually feeling like they did something at a level that they wanted to, or that they grew. And that's what made them feel a sense of achievement. So it was almost like this intrinsic motivation that made them feel like they had achieved or accomplished something. And that just brings me to my own very personal story. One time I said to my husband, I said, I feel like a jack of all trades and a master of none. And the reason why I felt that way was I just feel like trying to run two businesses and be a mom and you know work a full-time job, it can be tough. And I want to be able to do what I'm doing and I want to do it well. And you can do a lot of things. You just can't do them all at the same time. So I feel like there are spurts where I'm really good in certain areas. Like maybe I'm doing something really good with my clothing line and things are progressing. But then I feel like my podcast is suffering. Or maybe I feel like, oh, if I blocked out more time to advance myself in my actual career as a school social worker, you know, Maybe I could see some fruits of my labor there because one of the things that I'm looking into, but I've pushed it off until 2023, is officially starting my own private practice. I've worked for other people in private practice, but I have never quite had my own private practice because I just got my LCSW in October, October 2021, that is. So like I said, sometimes I feel like a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So let's move on. So one of the things they also said in this article, and I'll refresh your memories, called Women at Cambridge, The Meaning of Success, is that people want to be able to pursue interesting, high-quality work that has positive impact. That's one of the things that people look for to measure their sense of achievement and success. 
Okay. So what is high quality work? They said the vast majority of participants wrote about the importance of having interesting, stimulating work that gave them a sense of pleasure, pride, and even joy. Constructing careers in which it was possible to have the freedom and autonomy to pursue work that mattered was an achievement in itself. And if you think about it, most people are not satisfied at their jobs because of one particular reason that can be universal. And that's because they don't have a sense of ownership at that job. Maybe there's a skill or a talent that they have that they feel has been untapped at their work. And maybe sometimes they might try to propose certain things that are out of the box because they really feel like they can advance their job. But for whatever reason, their job is like, well, that doesn't really fit into the structure of what we're doing. And that's usually when you see people have that low sense of work satisfaction because they don't feel like they're achieving anything. Okay. So another thing they said is exploring the effect of staff achievement on job satisfaction. Oh, sorry. This is actually a different article. Exploring the effect of staff achievement on job satisfaction in Hong Kong residential clubhouse. Okay. So they define staff achievement based on this study that they conducted. And this Um, I think they actually used well over a thousand participants. So, and I think they may have even looked into different countries, although it says it's in Hong Kong, I believe they looked into different countries, but let's keep going. So they say staff achievement has been defined as a positive result while the staff finishing particular goal and task or being beneficial to the company that his or her effort will be praised and certain status will be built by the company and themselves. So when they talk about staff achievement in this aspect, they're actually talking about receiving social praise for effort. So that has nothing to do with intrinsic motivation. However, people are motivated by those accolades. So that's part of it. Work empowerment. Now we just talked about that. The meaning of work empowerment is to let staff participate in the decision-making process, providing freedom to staff and solving problems. So most people will find a sense of achievement. And it doesn't just have to be in the workplace, but this is a great example. When they feel empowered, they feel like they can make decisions. They feel like they can contribute something. And they also highlight work autonomy, independence and freedom, the ability the company provides staff on handling tests, planning the works and allocating job duties. I know I have heard many times from people that one of the things they don't like about their job is they feel like someone is micromanaging them. And so with that micromanagement, it kind of undermines your abilities and it makes you feel like, well, why doesn't this person, why doesn't my supervisor think that I know how to prioritize things on my own and I know what's most important. I know how to get things done effectively. People want to work autonomously. Now, I used to be a retail manager prior to um, becoming a social worker. My first job out of college, I was a retail manager. And I had some staff that enjoyed being micromanaged. You know, they wanted me to follow up and kind of follow every little step of things that they were doing and give them social praise or give them feedback. And for some people, that motivates them. So I would say that kind of go along with when we talked about, what was it, that positive impact, that praise that people look for, staff achievement. So that sense of like someone's giving you accolades. Okay. Maybe people who are not as intrinsically motivated, they need that micromanaging because they want the positive and the negative feedback. But people who are more intrinsically motivated, 
they want autonomy and they want to know that their supervisor and their their company trusts in their abilities and their ability to prioritize and function and know what is the priority and know how to get things done quickly, right? Okay. Age and job satisfaction. This is also in the article exploring the effect of staff achievement on job satisfaction at Hong Kong Residential Clubhouse. And I will be posting these articles to my blog. So many of the studies indicated that age is one of the indicators in measuring job satisfaction as they cited out that the older employees who have longer working experience seem to have higher job satisfaction than younger colleagues. The reason that has been mentioned is that older workers have experienced more and longer and therefore, they will adjust their expectation on work so they are easier to be satisfied than youth workers. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I think that's an interesting point. From my experience working in my field, I do think that people who've been in the field for a really long time, they do have somewhat of more job satisfaction because they kind of know the ropes and they know how things go. And they're not really in that mode of, well, let's change the things that we don't like. They're more so in the mode of, I make the job work for me. And when you're in that mode of making the job work for you, then you have less job dissatisfaction. Whereas when you're in the mode or the mindset of, I don't like this aspect of my job, what can we do to change it? then you may be dissatisfied if you're getting pushback when you're trying to implement those changes or when you're trying to give the higher ups feedback on, well, I think these are some areas where we can improve the quality of work life here. And they're like, no, 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 this is not within the scheme or the scope of what we did. So in that aspect, I could see why this article found that people who are older and who have been working in the field longer have more job satisfaction. But they say, however, this study also mentioned that there are still some researchers argued that age is not one of the factors that influencing employee satisfaction. Therefore, it leads to further investigation in the study. The thing about that aspect of the study is it's qualitative. Anytime you take data on something that it's not like you can compute it and point A means point B and equals C, you know, it's something that's factual and it can be proven without a doubt. Sometimes when you're relying on someone, on someone's, I guess, point of view or perspective, then that's always going to be more of a qualitative question within the survey for the research. And so it's hard to prove the validity of whether or not their findings are true or not. So I just wanted to give you that perspective. So I'm going to give you an example of how maybe me being a little younger in the field, having that spice may have caused me to have a little bit of less work satisfaction than someone who was older in the field. So I remember when I used to work in retail and I worked at a retail store where they did not necessarily have a policy for sick leave. And unfortunately, I had been diagnosed newly with a medical condition. And, you know, my doctor just wrote a note for my job saying she's going to need to take off work from time to time, but she, you know, she's going to get sick and we can't really predict when she'll get sick. So here's a heads up. She's going to need time off from time to time. 
Well, when I tried to give that note to my job, they said, well, we don't really have a sick policy. We don't accept doctor's notes. We just allow so many absences within certain periods of time. Well, this led to me basically really pushing back and going pretty far with pushing back. And because I was pushing back, some of the employees who had been there longer than me, they didn't really care for me taking a stance on this issue. And some of them would say, well, you know, everybody else has to follow this. You know, why are you pushing the issue? And I think really what they were saying was, you know, let's not make this hard on ourselves. You know, sometimes you just have to go with the flow of how things are, because with you pushing back, what does that mean for us? Will we start to feel the effects of it? Well, long story short, what ended up happening is, is the company ended up creating a policy for sick leave and they had to accept doctor's notes and it ended up being company wide. So although my, me, you know, kind of pushing my stance and standing my ground and me not necessarily being satisfied in my work, because obviously there was a lot of adversity that went into that. Ultimately, everyone, including myself, benefited because now we're all protected by this new sick leave policy. So I don't know. I just think that's kind of an example of age and job satisfaction within the context of this article. So let's get back to the Women at Cambridge, the Meaning of Success article. So one of the things that they posed was how can we reframe the debate away from women's issues to talk about effective modern workplaces? So both men and women can choose to become parents, they say in this article, right? And both genders have caring responsibilities. But it seems that when women have children, it tends to impact their ability to continue to grow within the company. And we wonder why is that? Is it because there's a stereotype that women cannot handle working a full-time job and being a mom? Is it because a lot of women, they want to take some time off? or they want to go part-time for a little bit and then get back into the full-time group. Why is that? Because there's a lot of working moms who work full-time and they're handling, they're juggling both, but they're hitting that glass ceiling. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't have an answer for that, but I think it's a good question to pose. If you guys have a personal experience that you want to share about being a mother and working in the workplace and hitting that glass ceiling and feeling like you can't get promoted and it might have something to do with the fact that, you know, you're a new mom. Please write me at the socialworkjournal at gmail.com. I love to hear about your story and I'll definitely talk about it here on the podcast. Now, one thing I want to say is that the inclusion of one is not the exclusion of other. So men go through the same thing as well. So here's the thing. Although the glass may seem half full rather than half empty when men return to the workplace after they have children. Sometimes it can be a curse because I think that there is sort of this stereotype of men as leaders. And there is this expectation for men to lead in the workplace. Okay. So how does that impact men? Well, what if you're a man and you go into the workplace and you don't want to assume a leadership role? Then how does that impact people's perspective about you? So that's something to think about. Okay. So all that to say is, I think that men can have some challenges as well returning to the workplace, just as women. And what may seem like male privilege might sometimes be burdensome. 
depending on that individual's goals and what exactly it is that they want to accomplish. Now, I want to move on. I found this article as Women's History Month begins, USC researchers reflect on women's achievements and challenges. Okay. And you guys know I'm an alumni of USC. I graduated from the Suzanne Dwork Peck School of Social Work. Go Trojans. And so I was really happy to see this article. So there was a report by Stacey L. Smith, Catherine Piper, and all Bob Kahn. I hope I said his name correctly. And they looked at gender, race, and ethnicity. Okay. And they were looking at the top 100 U.S. films each year from 2007 to 2021. And what they found was while white women and men of color have seen increases in opportunities, okay, in film, only five women of color directed top grossing films between 2020 and 2021. That's fewer than 2% of all directors across 15 years that were women of color. And so it just makes you wonder, why is that? Why are we seeing that unequal pattern? And here's the thing. I want to say Caucasian women. I'm just quoting them in the article, but women who are non-minorities are still minorities. Women, I should say, women who are not of color are still minorities, right? But why is it that they saw an increase in success and women who are Caucasian and men of color, but not women of color? And women of color, that hits that intersectionality point, right? Because now you have a double minority, female and African-American or Latina-American or Asian-American, right? So the quality, they say, that women of color bring to filmmaking is not an explanation for their lack of participation in top grossing films. So, you know, anybody who works in the film industry who is checking out this podcast, if you know more about this, I am very curious. Please write me at the journal at gmail.com because I don't have all the answers. I'm experienced. I'm not an expert, but I am experienced in the film industry. This is an area I'm definitely not even experienced in. Okay. So I want to move on and I want to talk about, oh, I got something. So earlier when I was talking about women and men and assuming leadership roles, right? And I was saying, hey, you know, let's not just look at the glasses half full. Sometimes it can be burdensome for men in the workplace to have to assume these leadership positions. It reminds me of this story. So you guys who've listened to my podcast before, you know that I started my career as an applied behavior analysis therapist prior to becoming a social worker. And I, once I was working with a paraprofessional, and I was showing her how to use what they call first then board. And this is when you want to shape behavior and you want to teach a, a student or a child how to comply with instructions, right? So first then board is basically it's a visual and there's two columns and it says, you know, first do whatever the expectation is, right? And then you get whatever it is that you're looking for as a reward, whatever is um, motivating to you. And usually you do what they call preference assessment ahead of time. Like, what are we working for? That's a preference assessment. And then maybe you have pictures of different things that that individual likes, or maybe you just give them a choice in a field of three or four. Like, what are we working for today? Are we working for computer time? Are we working to draw? Are we working for some quiet time in the library? What are we working for? That's what you call a preference assessment. So I'm working with a paraprofessional who's basically like a teacher's aide. 
And I was working with her on how to shape behavior with a new student that came in that was very non-compliant. So I showed her how to do the preference assessment, how to use the first name board, and how to use a token economy to give that immediate reinforcement. Now, token economy, you'll see a board. You might see like four or five squares, maybe three squares, depending on where the kid is with their compliance. And you can give them a picture of something they really like, like a star or a smiley face. And once they own all their stars or all their smiley faces, they get to have that thing that they said they wanted in their preference assessment. And you use the first thing board to remind them, okay, first you do this and then you get that, right? So these are the three things that work in conjunction. I'll repeat them. You want to do the preference assessment. You want to set out the token economy so you can give them that, that immediate reinforcement until they get the overarching reinforcement. And if they ever need to be re- redirected, you can use the first thing board to remind them, hey, first we're going to finish work and then we get this thing that we want. Okay. So I showed her how to use it. And then maybe like a day later, and when I said I showed her how to use it, I modeled it with her, with the student. I modeled it for her with the student. So maybe like a day later, I checked in and I said, you know, how are things going with that system that we have in place? And the paraprofessional said, oh, you know, I just found that it's easier to just find a man in the building when the student is acting up. And then, you know, I just have the man come over and talk to them. And then usually I can get the student to comply with what I wanted to do. So that might have been burdensome to those male staff who don't really work with that student. And they're like, okay, every time there's an issue with a student, you know, I know this particular paraprofessional is going to come up to me and ask me to intervene where she had all the tools to do it herself, but she didn't want to assume the responsibility in that aspect of leading, shaping this child's behavior. So that's just an example of how sometimes it can be burdensome when males are in the workplace and they're assumed to be in this leadership role. And even think about males who decide to be stay-at-home dads, you know, it can be kind of burdensome when people pass judgment or don't respect you as much for making the choice to want to be a stay-at-home dad. That doesn't make you, you know, less of a man. And it doesn't make you less of a woman if you choose not to stay at home and you choose to go back to work and you are career oriented. And I think that's where I go back to my point earlier where I said, I feel like a jack of all trades and a master of none because I want to be a great mom, but I still have my aspirations to have a successful podcast and to have a successful clothing line that I'm working on. So it can be difficult juggling all these hats and then still working full time. Okay. So the last thing that I want to get into, I want to get into more of the intrinsic motivation and sophisticated epistemic beliefs or promising pathways to science achievement, evidence from high achieving regions in the East and the West. So that's actually an article. So I wanted to get into this article and they were saying research on epistemic beliefs, on the other hand, focuses on the nature of knowledge and learning with more sophisticated epistemic beliefs associated with more adaptive outcomes, while learning and achievement are multiplied, determined, more comprehensive theoretical model that takes into account both motivational quality and epistemic beliefs is needed. Hence, the study aims to examine the role of intrinsic and instrumental motivation alongside with epistemic beliefs and their predicting students' achievement in science. So they're basically looking at students in science, and in the study, 
They focus on four societies in Singapore, Hong Kong, Canada, and Finland. So remember earlier when we were talking about that article in Hong Kong? I think that's why I was saying, I think they, they looked at other countries. I think they were looking at other regions. I was actually talking about this article, and I'll say the name of the article again. Intrinsic motivation and sophisticated epistemic beliefs are promising pathways to science achievement. Okay, and I won't read the subtitle because it's pretty long. Well, basically, they were looking at 15-year-old students in 72 participating countries and regions to meet the challenges of today's knowledge. And basically what they found from the top 10 performing countries and regions, that basically most of the participants, they found higher levels of achievement within themselves when they were having fun just learning. So these are students who are studying science. They were having fun and they felt that sense of achievement just from learning. So it just goes to show you that intrinsic motivation is powerful and that your motivation to achievement, it must be fueled by your own motivation. What you feel makes you feel fulfilled. So you never want to compare yourself to others and you never want to try to measure up to the expectations of others. So to end this podcast, I just want to empower all of you to sit down and think about what makes you feel like you have achieved something? What makes you feel great? And then once you analyze within yourself, what makes me feel great? Is it the fact that you were able to pass an exam? Is it the fact that you were able to learn four new things on how to start a business. You know, I felt very accomplished and achieved today because I figured out how to make USPS labels and create my own business account. And then yesterday, just by chance, I figured out how to use utilize the Amazon fulfillment by Amazon features so that I could just ship my things to Amazon and they could sell my planners there instead of just people being able to go directly to my site on Amazon. So, you know, just those little things made me feel like I had achieved something. So, you know, that's all I have for today. But thank you all for tuning in to the Social Work Journal channel. Again, I'm your host, Del Tom. And I say, I keep seeing Social Work Journal channel because I have a YouTube channel. So if you want to go um, on YouTube, you can just search the Social Work Journal and I have the Social Work Journal channel. But thank you for tuning into the Social Work Journal podcast and I will see you guys again. Take care and have a good one. Bye-bye.